This is episode number 44 of the Infatuation Podcast. This is Curtis, and on today's episode, we'll be wrapping up our summer book club by chatting with Cecily Wong, author of the novel Kaleidoscope. You know, I've had so much fun speaking with these authors, um, starting with Waiki Wang in June when we talked about Jonah's Okay, and then speaking with San Francisco-based author Kirsten Chen about her novel Counterfeit, and now we're going to be speaking with Cecily Wong about Kaleidoscope. These young authors are so fun to talk with, witty, smart, talented. The only downside with doing these podcasts on books is that not all of you have read these novels. So I really hope we've inspired you to head to the library or maybe the bookstore and get your hands on one of these books. You really would be doing yourself a big favor. These are great books. So I hope you enjoy our chat with Cecily. Thanks again for listening. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to the podcast. We hope you're all doing great out there. We have another summer book for you. I guess, Emily, I guess this is our thing. We're going to do books in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. I feel like I've given you homework to do. <laughs> no, I definitely don't mind, especially with this book. It like took me to different parts that I've never been before. Um, yeah. yeah. This book is cool. This book is unexpected. I, I had no idea what it was about. Like same we so the story goes, <laughs> I I was we were trying to get a hold of this one author, and she's been super busy, and so I but I contacted her publicist and she said oh she's really busy I'm not sure when she'll do it, and then she emailed me out of the blue and she said but I have another author who's coming out with a book in July her name is Cecily Wong, and we'll send you a copy of the book and I was like oh. I can't say no, right? So they sent me a copy of the book and I was, but but after I said, yeah, I was kind of nervous that I wouldn't like the book because I didn't know anything about it. So I started reading it and it just sucks you in um, and takes you around the world and inside of this Chinese American family, this Chinese woman, a, a woman that's Chinese and her husband, it's Caucasian, so he has two daughters that are hop on. It takes them around the world. Fascinating read. I, I like one of the more interesting books I read this summer. Mm -hmm. Definitely, I agree. Yeah, yeah, not predictable at all. Well, I didn't think so. Mm -hmm. And the characters were just like super interesting. Yeah, um, surprising too. Yeah, mm -hmm. but we'll see. So we're gonna talk to Cecily. What have you been up to? You been up to anything good? No, just working. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like kind of my busy season right now. Yeah. Well, I just started back. So school's starting up again. So oh. we just started back. So. No more time for reading. So I don't think there will be a fall book club. <laughs> but yeah, maybe every summer we'll do like three books. We'll do a June, July, August pick. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. You think Asian book podcast is a thing? I think so. Yeah. Love it. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I think we're definitely introducing people to some of these books. that they, Like my wife had never heard of Counterfeit. Mm -hmm. but she loved it. So uh -huh. I think it's good. I've been recommending that book to all my friends because it's such yeah. a fun read. It's such a fun read. It's a different read. I, I recommend both. You know, mm -hmm. obviously, we've enjoyed all these books. But yeah, it's very different books, but both Asian authors, both up and comers. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's an exciting time for Asian authors, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, every every month, something new. So who knows? We may do a fall book club, but <laughs> I don't know if I have time to do all the reading. Maybe not every month. Maybe like one fall book. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, yeah, we've. I've been. I've been saying, Emily. So how you doing? We got the record on Thursday. You're like, uh, I'm still reading. <laughs> but yeah. All right. So let's get into it. Thanks for coming along again, yeah, Emily. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Anytime. And let's introduce our special guest today. Coming from Portland, Oregon, we have Cecily Wong. Hey, Cecily. Hello, <laughs> hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Welcome. What's what's good in or uh, what's good in Portland right now? Um, everything's pretty good right now. August is a good month in yeah. Portland. It's been pretty. It's been hot everywhere. Yeah. But um, we're getting a break from like the from the ninety five degrees. Yeah, you know, I think I think Portland kind of underrated food city. Would you Would you agree with that? You know, I actually feel like so. I I totally agree that Portland has amazing food. Um, it punches like way above its weight in terms <laughs> of like population and and size. Um, but I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm just in a certain circle, but I feel like it gets a lot of love for its food. People know. Yeah, I, maybe. Maybe I'm in the wrong circle, <laughs> but yeah, no, but great seafood. We had some amazing tomatoes when we went there. Food mm-hmm. trucks. You guys have had food trucks for years. You know, food truck scene is relatively new, but I went there like maybe 15 years ago and you already had a good food truck scene. Oh yeah. No, I've only been here actually for two years. Um, but since I've been here, some of like my favorite food trucks have already become brick and mortars. Uh-huh. Like it's kind of like incubator for for food ideas and then they take off and it's it's really cool yeah yeah all right so we're talking to cecily wong cecily wong uh we're gonna talk about her her third book which is called kaleidoscope and your first novel was called diamond head and i haven't read it yet and but it sounds interesting so i think i'm definitely gonna put it on my list came out in 2015 it was recognized by Elle and got its Reader's Prize. It was voted Best Debut at the Brooklyn Book Festival. And it's a multi-generational saga that starts in China and ends up in Hawaii. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, this this was kind of my first foray into feeling out how to write fiction. I, I didn't really go to school for it. I started taking a writing class when I was an undergraduate at Barnard. And I didn't think I was going to become a writer. Um, And I just got kind of stuck on this story and it became a way for me to kind of connect with my Chinese Hawaiian roots. I I grew up in Oregon, really far away from from the rest of my family. And so I started writing this story about um, essentially my mother. It it ended up getting very far away from that. But um, just this young girl growing up in Hawaii in the 60s. And that that kind of morphed into this this project that um, grew far outside of my control, <laughs> and I just chased it for for many years um, until I had a book. Yeah, it's a process. Yeah, you get the, you have this idea, but then from that until publishing it is a good three, four, five years. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I I always say that like if if anyone knew how long this took and like how many times you have to rewrite it and and just all the perils of publishing, no one would ever do it. Um, so it's good, I think, that on on you know the the front side, you don't know all this. <laughs> and then um, your second book, a little departure, you're going into a little more nonfiction, and it is a big book, like literally. 448 yeah. pages. It is Gastro Obscura, a food adventurer's guide. And it's put out by the folks, I think most people know the name Atlas Obscura. And they do these books with, you know, kind of fun, weird facts from around the world. But this is a food book. How did you how did you get involved with this? Do you have a culinary background at all? Or So I don't have a 
like a technical or formal culinary background, but I grew up in a restaurant family. My parents yeah. owned um, restaurants my whole life. So I grew up in the kitchen. Um, so I, I've always been like hugely enthusiastic about food. And I just, I saw this job posting actually on the internet. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a person from the internet. Okay, yeah. um, I just, I applied for this job and they were, um, they're like a really cool company. They're always taking chances and like they have a very, you know, specific point of view about what they wanted to do with this book. And they wanted to do really like narrative storytelling about mm-hmm. food and food cultures and these kind of bite-sized um, entries. And so I, I sold myself, I guess. Yeah. And they gave they gave mm-hmm. me the job. I, it was it was it was a heavy lift. We worked on that book for like four years. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that was a, a definitely different from your first book. And then you pivot back to fiction with this book. What made you kind of want to do something? Did you just want to do something different? Or was this story something that you had rattling around in your brain for a while with Kaleidoscope? Yeah. So so the Gastro Obscura book was actually kind of more of the departure for me. Uh, um, mm. I, I went to an office for that job. <laughs> I went I went into the yeah, Alice yeah. Obscura office three days a week and and, you know, had had coworkers at a desk. And that was that was like a huge departure for me, like writing novels, you know, in my bed. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. so I, while I was working on that book, I was um, simultaneously working on Kaleidoscope. At the same so time, I, okay. Yeah, yeah okay. so, and that was actually a great setup um, in retrospect. Um, I would work on Kaleidoscope on Mondays and Fridays, and then I'd go into the office and work on Gastro Obscura on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> and it was a nice little setup. It made me kind of, you know, always want to get to the other project. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you. We like to talk about our guests. Where were you born and raised? Um, so I was born in Honolulu in Hawaii, and I, I moved to Oregon with my family when I was seven, and I grew up in Eugene, Oregon. Okay, so there is, is that Eugene connection. There is that Eugene connection, yeah. So Kaleidoscope opens in Eugene. Um, and it was, you know, it was a really nice childhood, but it was like extremely white. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up, you know, with a lot of lingering questions about my Asianness and um, my my Chinese Hawaiian heritage, which is what led to my first novel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I still have, yeah. I mean, I'm back in Oregon. This is a great state. <laughs> I love it here. Yeah, no, I yeah, I've been there, and you know, University of Oregon is there, and so there's a little diversity on the campus, but yeah, when you get into town, it's yeah, um, and especially you know, I think it's I think it's a little different now, but you know, twenty five, thirty years ago, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was like it was a little different. It was you know, I was like the I was like one of three Asian kids like in my in my like second grade class. Yeah, I can imagine going from Honolulu where you're like 90% Asian and you go to exactly, Eugene, yeah, it's exactly. a little, little culture shock. It's a little shock. alarming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then you end up going to New York. What? So this is this is part of the book as well. I'm not that saying that you're Riley or anything, but you end up traveling across country. What what drew you to Barnard? Um, I just, I was desperate to go to New York. I, I don't know. I just had it in my head that I needed to get to the biggest city I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like so obsessed with it. In fact, that I was voted in high school, my senior year, most likely to go to New York. So you were talking about it with your friends. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. You should walk around with your NYU shirts on. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, this is happening um, no matter what. And so, yeah, that was just, that was the goal I wanted to, I wanted to just get to New York and, uh-huh. 
Um, I'd actually never been to Barnard, but they offered me the most financial aid and they offered me Mm -hmm. just a way to get to New York. And so the first on move-in day, that was the first day I saw the campus. That was the first day I saw anything. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was one of the best decisions um, I think of my life, Um, but Mm -hmm. I really went in pretty blind. (laughs) Like, where are all the boys at? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I didn't really want to go to Barnard, honestly. I was like, I really wanted um, boys, but there were, you know, we're, we're in the city. So it was like, there's going to be, yeah. there will be boys around. You're Columbia adjacent. So you're, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're in, a, you're, you're in New York and did you know, when did the writing thing come? Did you know you wanted to write or what were you studying? No, certainly not. Um, I I was studying Italian, okay. um, wow. which might be the only thing that's like less practical than writing. <laughs> um, I I did a gap, and so I did a fifth year of high school in Italy, um, and I just kind of fell in love with Italy and and the language. And I came back, and I didn't know what to do with my life, and I just thought, hey. You know, like I'm, I'm gonna study Italian, um, and so I did, and and so while I was doing that, I also, Barnard has a really good writing program. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a teacher there named Mary Gordon who runs. She just retired, but she was running kind of like the, the hardest to get into workshop, and I applied, and she rejected me, and she just kept rejecting me, <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> what can I do? And then I realized that across the street, you actually didn't have to apply at Columbia. You could just enroll. Um, and so I started there. Actually. Through the back door. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I started taking a class there and I started writing a story that eventually Mary accepted. Um, and she let me into her class and I just kept taking it until I graduated. And by the time I graduated, I had like 50 pages of this story and um, uh, Mary and I had become pretty close. And And she basically said to me at the end of graduation, she was like, you know, I think you have a novel here. Mm-hmm. If you, if you think you can do it, you know, I encourage you to do it. And like, I was an Italian major. I didn't have any job prospects. <laughs> Not a lot of options. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, this sounds pretty good. <laughs> um, so... So yeah, so I just, it, it was like another three, three, four years. Um, yeah. And I just worked a lot of random jobs. Right, mm-hmm. right. That's very, that's a cool story. Yeah. So that leads us to July 5th of this year when you release your third book, Kaleidoscope. And it has been picked by today today.com's one of the 30 books you should read this summer, as well as BuzzFeed and Yahoo and Apple Books all picked you as a July pick. Cecily, do you mind giving us a quick summary of the book? No spoilers, but a quick summary of the book before we talk about it a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So Kaleidoscope is, it's the story of this um, this family. They're the Brightons. They're a biracial Chinese American family. And they begin, they be, the story opens in Eugene, Oregon, where I'm from. Um, and they opened the town's first organic grocery store. And um and they kind of have these humble beginnings and they start, as they start making a little money, they start going on these package tours to Asia and on this package tour to India, they, they spark this idea to open a, a store that basically sources luxury goods from, from around the world, first from India, but then later from, from Asia, from, from Mexico, from other parts of the world. Um, and it's led primarily by their oldest daughter, Morgan. 
she is kind of the she's the older sister. There's two sisters, Morgan and Riley, and and Morgan is the is the designer. She's the beautiful one, and she's always in the spotlight. And then there's her younger sister, Riley, who's always kind of in her shadow. She's kind of the the brainier one, the more socially awkward one. And so the four of them, their family builds Kaleidoscope, the store, and it blows up. It takes them to New York, and they're kind of shoved under the limelight and forced to kind of um, own this this like huge store that they've mm-hmm. created. And and then there's a there's an accident that I won't give away, and it kind of sends the family into kind of a chaotic tailspin yeah. and the rest of the book fo- follows the family um, as, as they kind of grapple with what they're supposed to do with their lives. Um, and then, yeah, there's a lot of travel. There's a lot of food. Uh-huh. It's a, yeah. it's a book about ambition, about family, about sisterhood. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Emily, what do you think? Yeah. What are your initial thoughts on this book before we get into spoilers? What, what, what do you want to tell people to, to get them to read this book? Yeah, I thoroughly really enjoyed this book. Um, the writing like on a sentence level was great. I loved how the sentences were constructed and just how like the sentences were built to like maintain this level of urgency throughout the whole narrative. And then the structure, I'm like a big structure person when I'm reading. So like, I really like the play on structure and like the different point of views. Um, and like with the descriptions of food and places, they were just so vibrant and so descriptive. And I like felt like I was there too. Thank you so much. Um, I love, I love that you're a structured nerd. I'm the same way. Um, my favorite books have wacky structures. Mm-hmm. You, you don't know where they're going. Um, yeah, they, yeah. they, they go a different direction. You're, you're reading a different book by the end than you thought you were reading mm-hmm. at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. 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 Not, not bad for an Italian major. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I had to learn that on my own. <laughs> no, I really liked it too. And for me, it was about family. You know, for me, it was about the relationships and, and the way they change, even though that, you know, well, it's a kaleidoscope, right? You, you think you see one Bingo. thing and then by the end, it's something totally different. Yeah. So everyone out there should get a copy of this book. It's available everywhere, but go to your local bookstore. You have a, a favorite local bookstore in uh, Eugene or Portland? Um, I mean, that's a hard question to ask in Portland, just because Powell's is, is you know, it's hard. Is, it's the <laughs> it's elephant hard in the not room, to yeah. choose Powell's. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, amazing. but there, I mean, there are a lot of really cool other books. There's um, Broadway books and Annie Blooms. There's the, the, there are a lot of really cool bookstores here, but yeah. Powell's is really phenomenal in terms. I've, I've never seen so many people yeah. like so hyped about books in yeah, one place. No, if, if you're ever in the Pacific Northwest, it's a very reading culture. And you go to Pals like a Mecca. And I, I went in there and my wife was at like Nordstrom Rack or something. And I say, I'm good. And I was in there easily four hours, five hours. You know, you can you can spend a day. Oh, more yeah. Than, more than one day. <laughs> yeah. No, there's, Just, there are like, I'd say half the rooms I haven't been in yet. Yeah. Yeah. It is that big. Yeah. So anyone who's never been to Pals book and Por- Pals books in Portland, definitely go. And no sales tax. So. <laughs> So nice. You, you look at the back of the book. It says nine ninety nine. You're gonna pay nine dollars and ninety nine cents for that. I almost, book. I almost forget that. It is. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Yeah. You go to the dollar store in Oregon and you get ten items. It's ten dollars. It's, it's the best. <laughs> I'm gonna be so upset when I'm in Seattle next month. Next oh week. yeah. No, don't buy anything. Buy a house yeah. in in Washington because there's yeah, no property exactly. tax. But then buy all your goods in in, in Oregon. Yeah. 
I've set up my life entirely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're doing the opposite. Yeah, yeah. And never come to California. If you don't like taxes, yeah. don't come to California. <laughs> Ever. So everyone out there, get a copy of this book. It is super fun. Um, you know, I took a chance because your your publicist offered to, she was like, oh, you want to interview Cecily Wong? She wrote this book. And I, I was like, I, you know, I said, sure. But I was like, what if this book is awful? What if we hate this book? <laughs> you never know. You never know. And I hadn't re- read it. And I was like, sure. You know, we're always looking for content. But I was like, oh, I hope this book is good. But you came through. <laughs> the book was super fun. I'm so happy to hear it. You yeah. can almost retract the offer, I feel like. <laughs> it would have been a very short interview. It's like, so uh, the cover art. Cover art yeah. is great. Love it. A lot of words in that book. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> no, seriously, we recommend it to everyone. It is our, Emily, we're going to start doing this now. It's our August pick. For the Infatuation Podcast, we're doing a book a month, I guess. That's Ooh, what we do. But love uh, that. so before we get into spoilers, we typically play a song to let people know that we're about to spoil this book. So uh, I looked at you have a, a neat little playlist on Twitter. I do a little research, so I, I went on Twitter and I found this little playlist. Do you have a song off that? I picked one, but do you have a song off that? The playlist? one you picked is the one you should play. Yeah, it is. Yeah. A good, it's a it's really a jam. Yeah, that. Had you heard that before? No, no. You introduced me um, to me. I got to tell my husband because he's going to be so happy about that. He found that song. <laughs> okay, so we're going to play a little bit of V Mahi by Arjit Singh and Asiskur. There's other people on it as well. But yeah, so enjoy this for a few seconds. And when the song is over, if you don't want to hear any spoilers, go get a copy of this book and read it before you listen to us. All right, we'll be back on the other side. So, Cecily, I'm always nervous about asking authors to read a passage just because it's kind of like, you know, if if you're if you're the voice of Yoda or whatever, you're always asked to do the same thing over and over. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to make you do like a monkey and do a trick or anything. Do you do you mind reading a passage or? Yeah, no, I don't mind. I picked like a like a paragraph. It'll be yeah. like really short. I figured that's the way to go. Perfect. Yeah. Um, should I just read? Do you want any kind of setup? Or? Yeah, maybe a little setup. Um, okay. So I'm going to read a little section um, about the two sisters, Morgan and Riley. This is from their from their childhood. They've just moved from Hawaii to Oregon. And and Morgan's two years older, but she's just begun this um, this growth spurt, this puberty that's kind of taken everyone by surprise. And they're in a new place. And um, this is from Riley's point of view. It's difficult to explain Morgan's puberty, how it changed practically everything. But perhaps it's easy. One day, my sister was small, straw-haired, and scrawny. And then one summer, she was three inches taller than me. The summer after, six inches taller. One of us bleeding from the vagina and one of us not. Over two summers, I watched my sister expand into a creature I barely recognized. First spindly and big-footed, with eyes that took up too much of her face. Then womanly her lankiness rounding into hips and ass, her nipples swelling from actual breasts. Then suddenly she was 13, five foot eight with bee-stung lips and hair the color of wet sand and lightning. And I was 11 with a face that made my classmates pull their eyes at me. It It forced our lives startlingly off kilter. Since coming to Oregon, Morgan and I were the half Asian sisters with the Chinese mom who ran the organic grocery store. 
the big white dad who walked the aisles, opening bags of seaweed strips and offering them around. We wore secondhand clothes, had no friends but each other, ate dinner sitting on buckets in the walk-in. But Morgan's puberty dug us from our cave of obscurity. Boys were suddenly in the store, feigning interest in my mom's roast chickens. Girls from school came and brought their parents, asked Morgan what she was doing on Friday. (laughs) Morgan's looks put our little slice of the world on display. Oh, Morganic's more interesting because of her. I remember watching my sister at the cash register. Her long, trim legs and heart-shaped butt, the smooth curve of her shoulder blades, getting ready for my turn to grow. Up until that point, there was very little terrain that separated us. Very few experiences we weren't forced to share. For a time, I got such a thrill from looking at Morgan because that's where I was headed soon. And I still remember how long it took me, how much it fucked with me, to realize that height and beauty was not a stage that eventually befell us all. Do you have a sister? I do. Oh, older or younger? <laughs> yeah. um, younger. I am the older sister. You're the older one. I'm okay. the older one. Yeah, I have I have two girls, and one of them's twelve, and one of them's ten. So they're right at that stage uh, right uh, now. Yeah. Where one of them's growing up, and become you know, she asked me about makeup the other. Well, she asked my wife about makeup the other day, and my other one, my younger one, just wants to play. You know, wants to play <laughs> games and. Yeah. No, at it's that a stage, it's yeah. a crazy like invisible leap that happens at that age and especially yeah. you don't you don't know what you're going to become physically yeah yeah but for the younger one that, i love that she's like okay well that's that's the roadmap you know, yeah, we're look, cool i'm we're next look, yeah we're looking at it who do you want to talk about first Should we talk about morgan first or riley first dealer's choice oh okay Ooh. emily your choice so. uh we could start with riley Okay, let's start with Riley. Um, so yeah, these are these are Hapa sisters. Um, what what made you want them make them Hapa as opposed to either full Asian, full white? Yeah, sure. Um, there were a few reasons. So the the first reason was that I just I wanted them to to be really physically different, mm-hmm. and I think by making them half Chinese, half white, there was just kind of more more room for for me to play with that. Morgan's like really tall and fair. Um, and looks extremely mixed and kind of like uh, racially ambiguous. And then Riley's kind of more classically Asian. She's, um, you know, shorter and, and, and darker and, and just reads Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was that reason. And I wanted them to have different experiences in the world based on how they looked. Um, but I also, when I was playing with the, with the concept of Kaleidoscope and this, the store that sells international goods, I was thinking about, um, who would be allowed to open the store mm-hmm. and, you know, like who we would, you know, trust as like a, like an authority figure, like a spokesperson of like international living. Um, and I thought, you know, it's a mixed rice family, um, yeah. but it's also kind of silly because, you know, it's like, Chinese. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, exactly. Like, but at a certain point, I feel like it, it almost doesn't matter, you know, like they're yeah. just kind of this like, Mixed Exotic. race family, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Living the international lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for that reason, I I wanted them. I wanted them to be mixed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it it doesn't color the whole experience that they have, but there are times when they're they're kind of othered or they don't totally fit in, or you know the scene on the train where Riley's riding there and, and they're all asking James, the, all the locals are asking James questions because he's super, just the Caucasian guy, he's the white guy on the train. Yeah. And she just kind of blends in. She kind of laser, laser, lays a little low. Yeah. And she's able to. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a huge part of Riley's journey is, you know, she starts in Oregon, as I did, kind of like really sticking out um, with classmates who like really, really um, see her as Asian. And then she moves to New York, where she becomes a little less um, defined by her Asian-ness around her classmates and like in a city that has more diversity. And then she gets out to Asia, where she she just keeps getting mistaken as a local. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was something I craved as a person too. Um, yeah. Just to, you know, be kind Blending. of like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know that. I know that feeling when I went to China the first time, I was like, Hey, I can walk around with impunity. No, one, you know, no one knows <laughs> exactly. <who> I- <laughs> exactly. No one's looking at me differently. Yeah. Yeah. In the, at the very beginning when you're writing her was she always going to be a barnard woman or i think i think so she started life as a barnard woman and um yeah yeah, yeah that was that was stuck to her this the, barnard women are very specific and riley's kind of one of them they're like really like kind of ambitious and opinionated and um often kind of like a little socially awkward um and and they usually are they end up doing like they're, they're like laser focused and end up doing something kind uh-huh. of intense and yeah. Um, yeah yeah so she has she has a bit of that definitely yeah definitely makes sense um so part of the part of the charm of this book is that you see it through Riley's eyes and then you realize that she's she's had a lot of it wrong you know like when she yeah. when she sees you know growing up and she sees her older sister and idolizes her and puts her on a pedestal and then even you know her parents and their partner their work partner just the way that she sees all these people just changes throughout the book is that is that kind of how you you started with the idea for this book was that it was going to be through this young 21 year old's eyes that she was seeing people and what they perceived that's it's definitely not how this started um <laughs> but thanks for that question i mean it's it, it's one of like the it became one of my largest preoccupations while writing this book was this uh, um, was perspective and, and vantage and, and how things change um, as, as time passes and depending on who's looking. And the way I came to this is because I started this book because I was trying to kind of get down these, like these like big important memories that I, that I felt that I'd experienced in my twenties. I started uh, this book in my twenties um, and and I was writing them almost like a like a like a journal entry. Journal, yeah. 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 And then and then I got older and and I kept writing this book and books take a long time. And so years passed and I'd revisit these scenes and I'd be like, this is not how I feel about them anymore. You know, <laughs> right. this is embarrassing. Yeah. Um and instead of, you know, I, I I went in to edit it and and I would have to edit it every year, you know, to kind of account for, you know, <laughs> yeah. my perspective change, what had happened to me since. And I think what I realized is that, you know, what was interesting about this was how how knowledge accumulates mm-hmm. and how it changes your perspective. Yeah. Um, and that these these memories do kind of live um, um, like in crystalline ways, but we we still see them kind of differently depending on what's happened around them, what we've mm-hmm. learned since then. And so that's when it, I had the title Kaleidoscope Forever. The store was called Kaleidoscope from the beginning. And it wasn't until years later where I was like, oh my God, like yeah. I got it. It's it's a, the whole book is a kaleidoscope. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how I, I formed the structure was, mm-hmm. was modeled after a kaleidoscope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was it hard keeping track of that? 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, for sure. It was the the structure was it was it was kind of like both natural and and just difficult. I mean, you know, as as you know, as someone who's like interested in form, um, it just you move something and and the weight shifts entirely. It just doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was it was like a, a a kind of a tightrope situation, like trying to figure out where should you know what what gets revealed at what point, what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it cuts back and forth in time. And, yeah. and I, and I feel like this is like both my strength and my downfall um, <laughs> is that I'm always trying to do that. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, some people like it and some people don't, but um, yeah. I mean, once I, once I got the general bones of it, I kind of had to stick with it and, and anything that didn't fit within um, um, this, because there is, you know, there's a, there's a balance to, how to make it feel that way. Yeah. I had to reread some stuff. Like, you know, when I got to the end, I was like, wait, wasn't Morgan this, you know? (laughs) And then you go back, did I read it wrong? And, but you go back and you realize that like Morgan Harley, she doesn't say a whole lot in this book, you know, like she, she, but she's described through other people's eyes so much that you don't realize whose perspective are we looking through? You know, what is the, who is the real Morgan? We don't even know. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was one of those ones where I got to the end. I was like, I think I need to reread. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> if only I had to pay twice, right? I had to pay again to read exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> you didn't pay twice. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I didn't even pay once. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Uh, so let's talk about Morgan. Morgan, the perfect Morgan who has no flaws. She's older by two years. Um, fashion designer well she's she had a fashion sense when she was in high school yeah so she she was very stylish all through high school i'd imagine yeah so she she kind of developed an eye for fashion because she had this miraculous puberty that just shot her up like six inches she had to relearn her body um they didn't have any money at this point and so she learned to sew um and she would go to goodwill and she would you know cut things up and make things fit her and along the way, she got like pretty good at this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when they when they were kind of messing around with this idea of opening Kaleidoscope, Morgan was the one who kind of stepped in with the vision. I don't mm-hmm. think this business would work without her. No way. At yeah. all. Yeah. And and so she becomes the designer. She um, she follows her sister Riley to New York when she goes to Barnard. She wants to go to Parsons yeah. um, School of Design. And yeah, I mean she. She is. She's, you know, on on the surface, kind of this like really like attractive and talented person. Um, and then yes, as you as the as the story mm-hmm. goes on, you see some different sides of her. But uh she, you know, she was she was actually she gave me a lot of trouble as a character. It's hard to write yeah. um a a perfect person. They're really boring. Yeah, no one wants yeah. to read a perfect person. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But she's such a good sister too, you know, like she's, mm-hmm. and, and Riley just falls apart when she goes to New York. It's really well done where you just, in your bones, you know how much Riley depends on Morgan. Like you just read, you wrote that so well that Morgan Thank to you. her was just like a goddess. Yeah. She was her life. Yeah. She was. Well, I so, love that you have two daughters who are two years apart. This just makes it all the more <laughs> resonant it, and scary. It hit. Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely hit. Uh, Though my girls don't get along that well. <laughs> yeah, but that could be later. I it feel like be. that's that is the the ebb and flow of sisterhood. There is that idolization, you know, where I have an older sister, she's two years older, and we're very different. 
but yeah, she was she was flawless in a lot of ways. You know, like just she was so cool, and she did. You know, she introduced me to music. She introduced me to cool stuff or cool friends. You know, and there's a I I felt that a little where you know Riley's tagging along with Morgan here and there, and 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 you know boys are talking to Riley about Morgan. You know, stuff like that. Yep. I, yeah, I got a little of that in high school. You know, and it just and as as you go along, you you chip away at that a little bit with Morgan, like you're chipping away a little bit. She's not as perfect as you thought she was. And, and, and it's just, it's really, it's not a fall from grace, but it's just, I liked her more. You know, she's more human. The first half of the book, she's so perfect. That for sure. You it's find hard no to see her, her as a character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, it, that was something that I was interested in playing with too. I feel like um, as this book's been out in the world and I've been talking to readers, like everyone seems to Noah Morgan, um, uh, you know, okay. from from school or, you know, either they have a sister or it's just, you know, some like seemingly perfect girl that they grew up with and kind of idolized. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to get close to that person, you know, yeah, and it's hard yeah. to kind of even imagine that they have demons of their own or what it's like to kind of be on that pedestal for for everyone um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. because of the way you look. Yeah, um, yeah. My mom pulled up the Morgan of her life from like middle school, first really? and last name. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I bet we could all pull up a Morgan, someone <laughs> that, you know, could do no wrong. Yeah. Uh, there's some other characters here. Uh, let's see. Emily, you want to discuss any of these yeah, other characters? Yeah, we've got James, who they went to high school with and who ended up at Columbia. And then um, their parents, Karen, their mom, um, and Hank. And then we have, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Is it Hammer or Hamir? Okay. Hamir, yeah. Hamir. Cecily, you want to describe Hamir for us? Yeah, sure. So Hamir is kind of like our international man of mystery. He is a, um, he's a very wealthy, handsome um, Indian man who's also royal. And he he meets the Brightons on this package tour. When they come to India, they, they visit a shop, they hit it off. Um, and he kind of becomes like a, like a patron for them. He's got all the connections. He, he just takes a liking to them. Um, and he, he kind of represents. So I, I spent some time in India traveling and he represents this, this person who I actually was very surprised that I just kept meeting, mm-hmm. which was this very like, suave and wealthy Indian guy. Middle-aged um, guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. Young, middle-aged, like they, I was just, it, you know, the narrative I feel like coming from America and the West is that like, you know, India is like incredibly poor um, and we help them. And, you know, like India is incredibly poor, like that is true, but there's also this flip side where there's these huge, you know, like, illustrious families that generational have wealth. Exactly, yeah. generational yeah. wealth and you know their 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 families have been in these positions of power forever mm-hmm. and we met um we met a number of people who came from these families and i just i thought it was interesting to kind of flip the script and have this like extremely charming wealthy indian man help out these kind of bumbling <laughs> americans um suburban who, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah. I want to talk about Karen for a second. You know, there's times when I, I forgot that she was Chinese, but then there's times when I was reading it 
And I was like, man, that's a Chinese mom. <laughs> that's so funny. I love that you say that. Um, tell me more. I, I, yeah, see, I don't want to get stereotyped. <laughs> well, I am. But there's times when she would say something and it's kind of about them, but it's really about her. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, the woe is me. Absolutely. I, I did. Yeah, my, you know, there's, a, there's an Asian mom in in all of our lives that absolutely kind of, yeah, yeah you know and that's that asian mom spin i yeah. love i love that you recognize that yes. <laughs> yeah where where it's like oh well, i had to do this because of you, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah she's very cool i liked her uh so yeah so we'll, we'll get a little more into the characters and talk about the plot but yeah really well done with the characters mm-hmm. but let's talk about kaleidoscope the store did you base that on anything that that you knew or that you'd seen of course. Um, uh. Yeah, I. I mean, it was. It's. It's. It's based, of course, on on stores that we have here in the states. Yeah. Anthropology, um, world Pure market, one. home goods. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know these stores that are kind of curating these this the selection of stuff um, that has like an international feel. Um, you know Pearl River. Pearl River Mart. Yeah, Pearl River Mart in New York City. Of yeah, course, it, right? it closed. Uh, I think they're back. I think they came oh, back. Oh, are they? Oh, I did a little research. I think they relocated. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. I didn't know that actually. I think. I, okay, I better fact check myself. <laughs> you can edit but, that out. But you know that story. You know that that was kind of you know the commodification. Of, yeah, uh, totally. Um, yeah. And there's I don't know. There's something I I just found it so interesting because I'm I'm drawn to this stuff. Like I think it's yeah. cool, and yet like. We don't think about, you know, how weird it is that we're like, check out this birdcage from India. You should put it in your house. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, why? I don't have a bird. You know, like, it's decorative. Right. You know, like, it's just, it's it becomes like these status symbols that like you have like, um, you know, global taste and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that went back to like the 1800s, you know, Charles Darwin's bringing back fossils and everyone Absolutely. wants a fossil in their house at that time. Yeah. Absolutely. I but, mean, there's always some some person claiming to have discovered something right. and like bringing it to the people. Um, <laughs> in, in the good people of Eugene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this company, uh, so it starts in Eugene in their, in their organic uh, supermarket that the Brightons had been running mm-hmm. fairly successfully, but then they get, they get this bug that they're going to bring all this Indian wares and clothing. And so this Hamir is a big part of this. He's the supplier basically. And so they have this huge, they have this years long relationship and it's Morgan who's doing a lot of the designing as well as picking the cloth and Mm -hmm. and things like that. So this company, this small little company blows up and they end up moving the whole family to New York. And then, and then, then, oh, so then we find out that Morgan's kind of running the show. Like she's so, like Karen calls her the glue of not just the family, but of this business and everything revolves around Morgan. And then you kill her. <laughs> her. Cecily, why? I know. Why are you killing this perfect girl? Why you got to do that to her? My mom was like, "What? Like, why did you? she was like? What just You're going to bring her back to life? It's like it's not that kind of book, mom." Yeah, um, out but- of the out of nowhere, we're having this beautiful day, mm-hmm. like Riley's perfect day, her birthday, and you kill did her. It, did it come as a surprise to you too? It- a little bit. Or did you feel it coming? I didn't read anything about it. Yeah, no, it surprised me. Yeah, at all. It surprised me a little bit. It happened so quickly, I feel like. Yeah. 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 
I mean, some of my favorite death scenes in fiction are when they just happen, you yeah. know, like, and it's like, it happens like at the end of a sentence. And you're like, what did, what? Exactly. <laughs> you gotta read exactly. it five times. Yeah, uh-huh. I know. No, I didn't, I didn't see it coming. I didn't, I definitely, I was like, where is this going? They're just like, oh, what's happening? And then it's like, oh, <laughs> this is a different book. I'm reading a totally different book now. Did you think about how you, did you, like, I looked it up. There was a crane incident in 2008 in New York. Did you have that in the back of your head or? I mean, that's where I got it. Okay. Um, it is, yeah. I mean, I just, I did a lot of research on how to die in New York. Uh-huh. Um, and I wanted it to be like a extremely New York death. I wanted it to be kind of something. Uh, that, very fluky. Yeah. Um, I wanted it to be, I wanted you to be able to kind of blame New York a little bit, um, uh, which, which, which helps. Karen does. Exactly. And like the whole family kind of does because they're, you know, this isn't their home. They kind of uprooted their life to come here. I wanted to kind of blur that, you know, like where the guilt was um, because, you know, it's obviously not Riley's fault, but it's also, you know, there's, you allow those things to creep into you can, your mind. You like can if, connect if the she dots. Come. Yeah. 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 So this, this just ruins everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, oh, how dare she do this to us? But yeah, the company's in shambles. The parents that Hank becomes an alcoholic. Maybe he was already, but he's definitely a raging alcoholic now. For sure. Karen's a mess and Riley's in bed 14 hours a day. And so, so yeah, so, so James and Riley find comfort in each other. They go on this journey and it's kind of soul searching. And it was, it was meant to be Morgan and Riley doing this trip together after college. And so they're backpacking around the world. They start in India because I guess Riley had a little experience with India. And <laughs> have you traveled on the train in India much yourself? Because yeah. you described it very vividly. <laughs> um, yeah, I we took I so my my now husband Reed and I we when we were in our twenties it was 2014 we we took a nine month backpacking trip um, and I just you know I needed to get it into a novel somehow. Yeah, um, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, part of it, one of the, one of the most memorable things we did on that trip was to take this overnight train from, <laughs> from Goa to Mumbai. And we, we did take sleeper class and, uh-huh. and, um, a, did everyone, a of, did everyone advise you not to do this? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you're like, how bad against, could it be? Yeah. I mean, the ticket was like $3. <laughs> it was, you know, it was just, we, there was no, we had to wait for a while because it was like hard to get even a ticket in this last class. And, um, you know, what was kind of wild is that we had met, um, we'd met this family right before and they invited us over for dinner and they just like stuffed us full of food right before <laughs> we got on this train. Like we yeah. had this elaborate, fit, huge meal and then they dropped us off on the train and we were so full and we we're like, oh God. It's you know, like, come out. <laughs> exactly. And so we were just like, it was just like the most, uh, it was an awful setup, um, uh. which is, which is, you know, how that that train scene devolves but um yes that was very so is this, much is this reed's life. line i think i now know what <laughs> satan's butthole smells like yeah it actually is and i'm gonna tell him that you enjoyed that line i enjoyed um, it so much yes do i put this in <laughs> it's so perfect though because i i tro- i you know, this is in the 90s, so China was a lot different back then. I was in the China taking hard sleeper class, taking the the train, and I had to I had to take a dump as well. And I got <laughs> to the 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 car, which was in between the little toilet was in between the two cars, and there was sloshing, 
and I just tightened up. I just tightened up oh. for a day, and I, I couldn't do it. So I, I just held it for a day and a half. And Good for you. Yeah, no, I, it was it was not easy, but I, yep. oh man, I yeah. could not. When when Reed read this scene, he was like, "Great, everyone's gonna know you pooped on a moving Indian train." <laughs> but <laughs> like, you know, what else you gotta do? You yeah. Gotta do. But yeah, that was very vivid. Loved it. Um, so I, I don't even know how we we're gonna wrap up this interview here, but let's talk about the ending. So <laughs> things happen on this trip. It's it's really vivid. It's really it's really well written. But we, let's get to the ending. So there's a few more plot twists. I don't want to ruin everything. So even if you've listened this far, I don't want to ruin the ending for you. But uh, Emily, what do you think? What did you think of the ending? Were you satisfied? Yeah, I was totally satisfied with it. Honestly, it was uh, it was left open ended enough where like there wasn't really any mystery to, you know, what was going to happen next. But like still a little bit. Um, yeah. So I yeah. was totally satisfied with the ending. Did you struggle with how much to tie a bow around it or, or were you going to leave it more or less as hard? Huh? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I think endings are the hardest for me. Um, yeah. And I, I struggled a lot with my first novel ending it. And I think that was probably the major complaint that I got from my first novel is that it ended too neatly. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's like this one, I'm going to nail messy. the ending. Exactly. Yeah. Like I got to, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it messy. But I no, I tried to end it. I tried to end it a bunch of times before the end. I tried oh. to end it at the end of the trip. I tried to end it, but I just, I knew that they had to go back to New York. I yeah, knew that they had yeah. to, you know, face the family and, and kind of yeah. show what happens after that ride. Um, but once I wrote it, um, I didn't rewrite it. Like it just, it came. Um, yeah. No, it worked for me. It was good enough. It was enough wrapping of it, but not so perfect. Yeah. You know, cause life isn't perfect, right? It is not. It's never going to be back to the way it was. We're going to end, as we usually do, with what we call the lightning round. Um, So don't worry about these answers. Just whatever comes to your head, uh, go with it. So purely hypothetical. If This is probably a true story, but if, if you had it to do it again, if you're 21 years old and have 30 grand in your pocket and you wanted to disappear for nine months, uh, give me how many spots? Give me three spots that you would hit. You definitely would hit if you had 30 grand and you're 21 years old trying to escape from the world. Um, if if I'm 21, I mean I'm going I'm going to places in the book. I mean I'm going to I'm going to India, I'm oh, going yeah. to Thailand. Um, probably going to Vietnam. I mean I'm going to where the other lost youths are you know uh, I'm, I'm going to where where the other people who are around my age um are are going to have fun and you know quote unquote find themselves yeah see i'd probably go to seoul and spend 30 grand in two weeks and have to come home <laughs> there you go you said you said you had to make it last nine months so you have to yeah. go someplace cheaper i know yeah no how about you emily where would you go maybe you italy i had a fun time in italy oh. and i would just spend probably like two three weeks drinking wine eating pasta and pizza yeah, yeah. 30 grand good- worth of wine, pizza, and pasta. <laughs> Can't go wrong. <laughs> a good choice. Yeah, you know what? India's not on my list yet. Uh, I have I have, a, I have, a lot of other places I got to go first, but would you? I, it, it's a young person's game. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm glad I went when I went yeah. because I'm not sure I'll ever make it back. Yeah, mm-hmm. or you got to go Hamir style. You got to go five star. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, do you have a disastrous travel story? I mean, other than the train to Mumbai, do you have a disastrous travel story or maybe a toilet trauma story that you could share with us that's not in the book? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, honestly, so, so much, so many things have gone wrong while traveling, I feel like. Um, and I mean, I'm sorry to say that a lot of them have made it into the book. Uh, I had to, you know, <laughs> yeah, to yeah. share a lot of them. The the scene where they where they arrive um, in Goa and all the taxi drivers are on strike, mm. and so they <laughs> That's borrow. True story. That is a true story, um, or it's you know based on a true story where basically we couldn't get, no one could get anywhere because the taxis were on strike and. Um, my husband convinced this random man to let us borrow his car for three days. Um, and we did. And he had to drive, you know, stick with the wrong hand. Uh-huh, and we're driving, yeah. you know, there's just the yeah. whole thing was just kind of like manic. But it was, um, we got there and we just like did a handshake agreement. This guy just like helped us. And- <laughs> See, I was calling BS on that story. I was like, there's no way. That this yeah, would no, ever it was wild. We really thought we like <laughs> we really like tried to like figure out how we were being scammed, like right, what yeah. could go wrong. I was waiting for it to go mm-hmm. wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the amazing thing about Goa is that um everyone is just extremely kind and they're just really trying uh, to help you. It's like this is, the, all this good, is a all great work. place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we end each show by elevating a member of our community by asking our guests to pick an infatuation. Um, an infatuation is anyone in the Asian community that you admire or that has inspired you living or deceased. Um, who is your infatuation? I love this question. Um, <laughs> and it was really hard actually uh-huh. to pick one. And I'm going to choose Aquafina. Uh-huh. I love Aquafina. I, I don't know. She's just, she's doing this like really cool thing that I admire where she's kind of got one foot in like, you know, her, her like Chinese world. And then she's got one foot into her like Chinese American, like, um, you know, modern actress, pop star world. And I think she does both things really well. And yeah, she's just, she's funny. I love, I love the tone of her voice. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah. yeah, I would love to write something for her one day, but I, oh, I'm a yeah. big, big Aquafina fan. Yeah, no, she, she, and she's got range, you know, she's done serious, mm-hmm. heartfelt, just goofy off the wall. Exactly. You know, musician, like she's, yeah, she's really cool. Mm-hmm. We did a episode, I don't know if you saw, we did an episode where we, we drafted, you know, like fantasy football draft, we picked our top six Asian actors. I love in, it. In turn, yeah, I got Aquafina, super happy about that. Oh, she, you got Aquafina, okay, yeah, good. I'm talking my to third a fellow I, I got Bruce Lee. Then Tony Leung from Hong Kong, and I got Aquafina. <laughs> wow, that's, yeah, that's a I, that's a good team. Good team, right? Yeah. yeah so I, I want to see. Yeah, no, for sure. No, she's great. Yeah, we love Nora Lum. Um, thank you so much for coming along, Cecily. That this about does it for episode forty-four. Thank you so much for having me. This was delightful. Thank you, uh-huh. thank you both for reading so so generously and and for having me here. Oh, totally, our oh, pleasure. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to your work. Any more that's coming out. Thank you. What's uh What's on tap? You got something rattling around in your brain? Not really. I I got a I got a baby. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'll be back to writing soon, but I'm, I'm going to give myself a little breather. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you write a book about a Chinese American biology teacher in San Francisco, let me know. I'll... I know who to ask. Yeah, yeah. actually, that that is what's next. Okay, yeah, yeah sure. Exactly I got stories. I, I got tons of stories for you. But uh, yeah, so once again, everyone get a copy of Cecily's book. Uh, if you want to follow her on Instagram, it is at hello Cecily Wong. And her website is cecilywong.com. And don't forget to check out Emily's website at emilyhuang.com. I'll I'll write that out for you. There's a underscore, not an underscore, there's a dash in there. So you can read Emily's work. And thank you again for hosting, Emily. Thank you. Uh, Cecily came up with a new title for you. You're, what did you call her? Literary concierge? You're the book concierge. Book concierge for the Infatuation Podcast. Love it. Love the title. Yeah, you're stuck now, Emily. You got to read all these books that I get (laughs) picked for you. But uh, hey, everyone out there, thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned something. Uh, As I always mention, you can write to us at infatuationpodcast at gmail.com. And please follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Infatuation Podcast. Until we talk to you again, on behalf of Cecily, Emily, and myself, we hope that you're all happy, healthy, and safe out there. Until we talk again, bye. Bye. Bye.